This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Chuck Connor, President and CEO of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. Syngenta's ambition is to care for the planet and help safely feed the world. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Chuck Connor next. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. Syngenta's ambition is to help safely feed the world while taking care of the planet. Syngenta's working to improve the sustainability, quality, and safety of agriculture with world-class science and innovative crop solutions. Learn more at Syngenta.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Few individuals have a more exhaustive career in serving agriculture than Chuck Connor, serving members of Congress on farm policy to executive leadership at the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Now as president and CEO of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives, Connor says there are real concerns for farm inputs and not just for this year. You know, this is just a watershed um, year for 2022. I told uh, the gathering this morning um, here in Washington that, you know, the, the, the positive side of the equation is I think that a lot of producers had um, uh, the cost of their 2022 inputs locked in at a time that looks a little bit better, looks wise compared to if they were trying to do that today. Um, you know, they have had some pricing opportunities for the 2022 crop that uh, have been favorable as well. And so I'm hoping that, uh, barring good weather, that we do have, uh, you know, a relatively good prospects in 2022. What keeps me awake at night is 2023, when potentially by that point we could have a change in prices, input costs remaining high. You know, that could be the real crossroads, and that, that worries me, particularly going into a, a 2023 farm bill debate. From your cooperatives that supply farmers, do you feel confident that there is adequate supply of either the nutrients that they want or some form of nutrient or crop protection products that they'll need to nurture this crop to to fruition my sense jeff is is it's adequate and and three or four months ago i'm not sure i would have had that sense from my membership but i think you know there are remarkable people out there and i think they have identified product that are going to enable you know farmers to plant their crops in 20 22 as as they want to. I think the biggest worry for for my members at this point is that sort of breakdown between corn and soybeans. Mm -hmm. As you know, uh, you know, corn acreage is a very different input equation from soybean acres, and you know, you don't want to get caught with a lot of unsold inventory at this point. Uh, It's just you know way too costly to. To, to carry, and so I think everybody is hoping for good weather this spring so we don't get any of that pressure maybe to switch even more acres to beans than what's out there and potentially leave retailers with you know too much product on hand, and they worry about that. Generally, how is the health of your cooperatives? And I know that you have a diverse group, yeah. but at the same time, if you, could, if you could look at the gambit and tell us in this environment, how are they now compared to a year ago? What's the outlook? Well... They've got a lot to be thankful for, and I think they'd be the first to tell you that. They've had a couple of pretty good years, uh, Jeff, and 2021 was no different than that. Uh, again, for 2022, it's way too early to tell, but, but product has been identified and located for the most part, 
and uh, you know it remains to be seen whether you know those uh, management decisions going into this crop were the right ones. But I think for the most part, you know, we we expect our members to have a a healthy twenty uh, twenty two year and. Uh, you know, we're again in these kind of times coming off pandemics and wars and, you know, famines and everything else. We know that that's something to be thankful for. So looking at policy issues right now, there's a lot of talk about a lot of different things. But at this date on the calendar, with regards specifically to agriculture, uh, specifically to farmers or specifically to food, I don't see a lot of vehicles moving right now on the hill. No, you know, legislatively, Congress is is in very much sort of one of those conservative holding patterns like you would expect them to be in. First of all, coming, you know, trying to come off of a pandemic, you know, secondly, now in in the middle of a, you know, of a horrible, you know, slaughter of human life in terms of this military conflict in the Ukraine. And thirdly, you know, we do have in the midst of all of this, a Supreme Court nominee uh, is pending who's going to start that hearing process this week. That is sort of an all-consuming process on Capitol Hill, uh, the confirmation of that uh, permanent, you know, uh, spot on the Supreme Court. So we know that that's going to take a lot of the legislative sorts of activity during, you know, this kind of season. And so much of our legislative agenda that we're looking at at this point has a 2023 focus, which naturally then carries us into the farm bill and, you know, what what can be done uh, relative to that farm bill. Because we know at the end of the day, farm bill is tough, but a farm bill does have to pass. And there's not much in Congress today that has to pass. They can debate a lot. You know, and they can go off on their tangents, but at the end of the day, not much has to happen. Farm bill does have to pass eventually, and, and people know that, and we're going to hopefully use that to, uh, you know, solve some of the problems that we've had pending out there in agriculture for a long time. There are some headwinds, though, for this industry. One could look at the commodity price and say, they're in like Flint. Yeah. No problems. But the American Farm Bureau recently offering a, uh, a, a market intel suggesting that despite the higher prices, there are producers right now that are looking at red ink. Yeah, it's very true, Jeff. You know, if if you would have told me that we could write a farm bill during record high prices and record high exports, I would probably have told you that it's, you know, could be a pretty easy farm bill to write. But given the other side of the equation that you've identified with the cost of inputs and just the uncertainty that is out there. You know, we, we see it in commodity markets every day, up the daily limit one day, down the daily limit the next, just that volatility of producers trying to, you know, deal in that sort of circumstance creates some real challenges out there. Because of that, I think this is going to be a tough farm bill debate, uh, and and I, I it's it's going to be a hard slog, and we're going to have to do our job really, really well to get this farm bill done, uh, a good farm bill done in a timely way. If you look at reference prices of crops, corn, wheat, and soy, I'll just leave it at that, and you look at the price across the board, Washington's not going to be writing many checks under ARC or PLC. Crop insurance is going to cost more, obviously because the value of the crop and revenue would be higher. But it would be easy for some to look and say, well, agriculture, as you suggest, doesn't need anything. Let's rubber stamp it and move it on. But then there is this big cloud of, I would almost want to say, opportunity with regard to climate and carbon sequestration and lay it on the line, conservation, where farmers could actually play a role 
but they're not going to be able to do it for nothing. Right. Yeah, Jeff, you know, in, income and risk management are going to be a key part of the farm bill. We've, you know, we've talked about all the challenges out there. They're very, very real. I think the key for the climate debate is can we develop climate policies that uh, dovetail into this desire to give producers, you know, greater risk management on their farms because they clearly need that. And I think if we're successful in doing that, you know, you know, we've got a chance at producing a very, you know, what I would call climate-friendly bill, one that, you know, has support from some, you know, from reasonable environmental groups all the way down to the commodity groups that are, you know, interested in sort of bottom-line farm income. I think that's a possibility. It's a heavy lift, but but clearly uh, an opportunity exists there to bring those folks together and, you know, do something good for farmers in this process. Coalitions outside agriculture have helped to bring farm bills across the finish line. Mm-hmm. Environmental, um, uh, from wildlife, uh, even nutrition. There have been a lot of people that have a stake in the farm bill, um, and they've helped to bring it about. Do you think those same coalitions will be together for this bill, or do you see new coalitions developing that will be critical to the number of votes needed in the House and the Senate? It's a tough call, Jeff, but I think you're probably going to need some new coalitions, uh, just given all the dynamics out there. Um, you know, we, we've heard today in our farm bill discussions some of the battle lines that have been drawn out there on nutrition policies and, and those sorts of things. and. I've got a feeling that we, we've created expectations on both sides of the equation there that in order to get through and, and get the 218 votes that you need in the House and the 60 votes in the Senate, we, we've got to bring in some new folks that maybe aren't quite motivated enough at this point. And, and, you know, I see climate, I see, you know, some of these issues as being, you know, the, the additional coalition partners that we're going to need to get to 218 and pass a farm bill, particularly in the House. Is it positive to have the President and the Secretary of Agriculture earlier this year in Glasgow, Scotland, saying that agriculture is a part of the solution for our climate woes in the globe? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's helpful. Um, I, I think the world is becoming smaller, um, and, and so that, you know, that international voice is an important one in this process. But I will say at the same time, too, Jeff, you know, I, I learned the hard way when I was serving at the Department of Agriculture. Um, Congress does write the farm bill, and, and that hasn't changed uh, from, you know, eight or nine farm bills ago when I was a young kid, and, and it's the same as true today. Uh, our partners here in writing a good farm bill really are the members of Congress, and the Secretary's input is not inconsequential, but he doesn't write the bill. Understand. When we think then about this stage of the game, you've already had the House Ag Committee holding some hearings in evaluation of the 2018 policy. Is this premature given a midterm election or is there still enough thread of bipartisanship left that what is being offered is still being heard by both sides of the aisle? Well, it, you know, Farm bill is tough. It's, you know, $800 billion total price tag, I think, is what they're saying. But, you know, it really does cover the gamut. So your, your initial reaction is that, you know, there's no such thing as too early of a start, just given the consequence that this bill has evolved into over the years. However, at the same time, too, I will just tell you that 
it's not a good environment right now. I mean, there's just a lot of partisan politics on Capitol Hill, um, and we don't want the Farm Bill caught up in that sort of partisanship. And so the, you know, the hearings that we're having early on in this process sort of have that undertone associated with them a little bit. And we just need to be careful that we're not creating battle lines unnecessarily here by some of this early work on the Farm Bill that we're trying to do uh, at a time when, when things are just not, you know, very harmonious. It's it's a tough time on Capitol Hill. There was discussion when Build Back Better was on the table. Ms. Stabenow worked to champion a certain amount of money, significant amount of money, uh, for conservation programs for farmers to work toward uh, climate smart solutions and practices on the farm. If Build Back Better doesn't pass, is do you see any other vehicle that could bring funds into the farm bill or any way that agriculture and the coalitions developed could justify additional conservation spending? Well, I think if uh, if Build Back Better doesn't happen, Jeff, and I don't think it will in the Senate, I, I you know I'm not declared to prepared to declare it totally dead yet but it's it's pretty pretty darn close um i think our only uh, venue for you know additional conservation dollars will be in the farm bill at this point that's that's sort of our next opportunity and i've you know i've been advising folks and advising uh um all the meetings that I gather in, that in agriculture, you know, we've got a good story to tell. Uh, you know, we've got a remarkable food system in this country, and even now into the third year of a pandemic, you know, we we may have had a few glitches here and there, but for the most part, we've all been fed and, and you know, fed pretty darn well mm-hmm. during the course of this pandemic. And that that's, again, something to be thankful for and to thank farmers for. And in the farm bill, I don't, I don't think we need to come in and start with an apology for, you know, and needing some additional resources to make sure that we are, you know, developing conservation and climate partners with our farmers in this process rather than coming in and whacking them over the head, you know, coming right off of a pandemic where, again, they have worked hard to make sure that, that we are all pretty well satisfied. I know your job is at the helm of the ship and, and for a variety of cooperatives across the country. But I know that in this day and time, farmers work very closely with their suppliers and their retailers. Yeah. They count on those individuals to analyze the data that they're gathering from farms. Do you see them trending toward and willing to adapt uh, conservation or climate programs without any thought of return, but with an idea of what's best for the soil and what's best for the farm. I do, Jeff. I mean, I, I again, th- this is a generational business, and um, you know, no farm is in a financial position where they can totally disregard economics. We know that, but at the same time, too, you know, what farmer do you know who doesn't put the highest priority on, you know, leaving that farm to the next generation? Certainly true in my family, I think your family, everybody else. That That's paramount, this generational aspect. And so they want to do the right thing, no question about it. And, you know, I, I just, I, I see that being a remarkable system. I think it's one where... Um, these these farmers as part of that they they are um, particularly hung, hungry right now for information you know tell me what i can do to do it better 
and again, I, you know, I, I can't ignore economics on that. But you know, there's, you know, what technologies, what what can I do to be, a, you know, doing this as well as I can, whether it's for soil health, whether it's for t- retaining carbon. And they're depending a lot upon, you know, my members, uh, co-ops, for that, that kind of information. Some of it doesn't exist, admittedly, uh, uh, particularly as it relates to carbon. This is a little bit of the, as I told the House Ag Committee last week, this is kind of the Wild West out there in, in, in carbon right now. So we, we need some good information created out there, but, but farmers are starving for that knowledge and anxious to put that into practice, in my view. In, in your opinion... Is it frustrating to not have a chief ag negotiator at the U.S. Trade Representative's office? Is it frustrating not to have an undersecretary for trade? In essence, uh, from the Trump administration, a Greg Dowd and a Ted McKinney, those, those seats are still empty. Yeah, they are, and of course we've taken a step backward actually with the, the withdrawal of our, uh, the nominee for the uh, Ag uh, Trade Ambassador. So this is very troubling. You know, we've got record farm exports right, right now, but you know, you don't get there and you certainly don't maintain those markets without, you know, good representation out there. And the, you know, these are the people that are the voices for agriculture. And when they don't exist, you know, you are, Sending uh, much lower level people to do that kind of work, and and I will tell you, my experience in the international community is that that doesn't work very well. You know, if if, you, if you're sending uh, lower level people, uh, your trading partners are going to send lower level people as well, and the chances of getting um, things done drops dramatically. We need those people in place, Jeff. So, Chuck, one of the things that's not in the farm bill is labor. Yeah, And the last time that you and I visited and with a number of other groups, the labor appears to have been or still is a top issue. What happens if we don't solve the ag labor issue? Well, it becomes more and more of a problem every year, Jeff. And I, and I have been doing immigration and labor issues for a very, very long time in addition to all my farm bill work and Every year it, it, it gets a little bit worse, a little bit tighter. You know, labor gets a little less available for average farmers, you know, out there in the countryside. And I stress that because, you know, our, our, some of our bigger operations, you know, they're, they're going to get the labor they need by, by some method or another. But, you know, your, your average family sized farm operations out there are really, really struggling to get the people they need to, to harvest the crops and to do the work out there that's going on. I think it's kind of fundamental, really, to our ability to continue to feed ourselves. I, I'm just horrified at you know the number of uh, uh, companies out there, and, and frankly, even farm owners who are putting capital in foreign countries, you know, in order to ensure the availability of supply of their product because they can't produce it here because they don't have the labor to you know to to do the work to get it. And that that's to me that's just you know it's couldn't be a worst case scenario than that why in the world are we exporting food production out of this country because we're not allowing you know a labor force to to take care of those crops it just absolutely makes no sense to me it's a problem that's got to be solved a quick uh, note i will just tell you you know i served in the bush administration under president george w bush and you know he was a a very very strong proponent of, of trying to fix some of these problems and I'll actually be down at the Bush Institute talking about some of these things uh, with the former president. And he's uh, convened an, a nice working group there to communicate and talk and hopefully start a reasonable dialogue to lay the groundwork that maybe, 
you know, toward the end of this year, early next year, we can start to solve this problem because it's it's getting to be dramatic at this stage. Yogi Bear would say it's deja vu all over again. Yep. Even with a Supreme Court decision pending, this Environmental Protection Agency is once again considering a definition of the jurisdiction of the Clean Water Act. This was a challenge before for your cooperatives. Is that challenge back? It is, and and it's unfortunate, Jeff. I I will just tell you that uh, you know, in, in my view, I'm not sure who's you know who's advising uh, the president and the EPA on this issue, but they're not getting good advice on this. Just to be very honest about it, in 2016, when this issue was sort of at its peak. Um, I will just tell you that it was the number one issue that I encountered as I traveled to farm meetings around the country. You know, of all the problems you think about in American agriculture today, what was the issue that sort of set farmers on end more than everything else? It was this waters of the U.S. rule and this regulation at at EPA. And, you know, whether you're a a supporter of the former President Trump or not, uh, the simple fact is they took their time and did a a good rule that was balanced. But because it was a Trump rule, it got pulled back, and and it's unfortunate because now we're back in the soup where farmers are scared to death that somehow EPA is going to be out there in the countryside and every place that, you know, they walk on where they get their feet wet is somehow going to be a regulated uh, entity out there, and... I don't think we'll ever end up where that's the case, but darn it, why do we need to scare these producers into thinking that again? Because they they remember 2016, and they remember when, again, this was number one issue. I recall a number of farmers and even agriculture, members of agriculture industry that say the one thing they would really like from Washington is some, some consistency and some stability. And at this point, there's a lot of questions. Yeah, this is the exact opposite of that. Total inconsistency, total instability, and we don't need to be doing it because we know what is a balanced, reasonable approach here. Mm-hmm. Chuck Connor, the farmer cooperatives of the nation are an integral part of the infrastructure of the strength of American agriculture. Yeah. Uh, and thank you for your service and leading this group uh, with your uh, extensive uh, career in, in agriculture. Thanks for your service there. But thanks for being with us on this edition of Open Mic. Chuck, it's Open Mic, and you've got the last word today. Well, I appreciate that, Jeff, I, and I appreciate your positive comments on farmer co-ops. It's a pleasure to really represent these guys. They do serve their farmer owners really, really well. They do work very, very hard to serve the interest of their farmer owners and to make their life maybe just a little bit better. This is a significant time for farmer co-ops in that uh, it's the 100-year anniversary this year, 2022, of passage of the Capra-Volstead Act, which is sort of the underlying act that enables you know co-ops to sort of do what we do so we're doing a lot of co-ops celebrating this year this is an organization that is uh, committed to serving farmers out there and they need it right now because these are tough times on the farm our thanks to chuck connor president and ceo of the national council of farmer cooperatives our guest this week on open mic agripulse open mic is brought to you by syngenta syngenta's ambition is to care for the planet and safely feed the world For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.